The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the Word this morning. Before we uh, get into the Word, I want to share with you a few things that we're going to find. If you have some note-taking materials, you can take those out now. Jot these things down. They're things to anticipate. Now, personally, on a, on a personal note, if Jesus were to sit me down and say, hey, let's talk, we're going to deliver a series of messages, seven messages concerning love. Now, which one of those do you want to have the most people in attendance? Which one of those do you want to have the most people catch it? Which one of those do you want to have be the one that carries the most significant amount of weight and influence? I think without any hesitation, I would have said this one. We're going to look at step six today on seven steps to love. And I'm really excited to get into it. And I have to trust and believe that we're here for a purpose. We're here to catch something and understand something. So much of what we're going to talk about today is foundational for who we are as a church, who we are as a body, why we do what we do. And I think it's very important for us to catch that. So I want to give you a few things to look forward to here in your notes. If you want to, you can jot these things down. One, we're going to find out the sixth step to the seven steps to love. Now, if you haven't been with us for the previous messages, we've gone over those first five steps. Now today we're at six. We're going to find that. A second thing that we're going to find, if you'd like to write it down, you can write down, we're going to find how to really, can you say really? Really. really but you got to say it like that, a little sarcastic, like really, really, yeah, really love. We're going to find out how to really love. Love's a word that we use a lot. I use it a lot. Sometimes I even say it when I don't mean to. You ever been on the phone and told someone you love them? Like that? Yeah, I've done that, right? Telemarketer. Like, no, I'm not interested. Okay, I love you. Bye. Oops. How to really love. We use that word a lot, and I think we ought to. It's a good word. It's, it's very uh, connected to our faith and Christianity. God is love. So many wonderful things result from love. But we're going to find out how to really love. Now, this is really important to me. I think we ought to stop and examine this when we see it in the Scripture. It's not something that we just need to learn for the sake of gaining information, but something that we need to catch, to examine, to look at. Because we can use that word. We can put it in our songs. We can put it in our mission statements, in our vision statements, and we can write it in our bulletin. We're here to spread the love of God. Have you ever met a mean Christian? I've met my share of them. Let me tell you something. I don't think there should be any such thing as a mean Christian. We're going to get into the Word today. We're going to find out why that's the case. So we're going to find out how to really love. And then a third thing that we're going to find is the key to revival. Now, oftentimes in churches, you'll hear that there's a mission and a drive, a a pursuit to see people raised up and wonderful things happen. And the things that we read about in the scripture come to pass to see people healed and set free. My life is a living example of how awesome God is that he does heal and set free. And I know that he does that for others. And I want to see that. We're going to find out the key to seeing that come to pass, and it's very important that we catch that. We could miss out on everything that we want to see if we don't catch this. So now I want to get started in the Word here. If you've got your Bibles, open up to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Now, 2 Peter chapter 1 has been where we've been for the past few weeks. It lays the foundation. 
We're going to read quite a bit. I'm going to pause a few times, but I want you to hang in there with me because I really believe that we're here today to catch something together. 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 beginning in verse 1. Peter's writing this letter and he's writing it to Christians. He's writing this to a church actually. So that fits, right? If you're a Christian and you're here in a church, then this letter is for you and Peter's writing it. So Peter's writing this letter to you and he says, Dear you, he goes on to say, Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith the same kind of as ours, by righteousness in our God and Lord Savior Jesus Christ. Now verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord, seeing that God's divine power has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us to, it's very important that we catch to, not by, but to his own glory and excellence. God's called us to his glory and his excellence, not some junior version but the fullness of who he is, his nature. Now remember, in the very beginning, you were made in his image after his likeness. Now that we can carry the Holy Spirit because of the work of Jesus Christ, we have an opportunity to function and operate, to be elevated to this divine glory and excellence. Now verse 4, For by these things he's given to us his precious and magnificent promises. So that by them, you, who is you? You, yeah, and you're good looking too. (laughs) So that you may become partakers in the divine nature and escape the corruption that is in this world by its lust. Now, let me tell you something. That is some Bible right there. I love that. That God is doing something in us, raising us up, not just giving us a few holy fortune cookies. Hey, Be nice to your wife. Hey, be nice to your kids. Hey, show up. Hey, do this. Hey, do that. But we've got something here that God's doing in us, transforming us into the divine nature, the nature that He carries, that He functions in, that He operates in and never changes. What a wonderful and magnificent thing to consider. Now, oftentimes that's hard for us. We see ourselves as inferior. We see ourselves as unworthy of these things. But it's God's choice and His decision to do this work in your life. And He's selected you intentionally. The purpose behind His choosing you is so empowered, and so empowered by His will that we can't question it by ours. He's decided you, 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 you. I choose you. And I call you, not by, but to, my glory and my excellence. He's raising us up. Now verse 5, for this very reason also apply all diligence in your faith to supply the following. Now this is where we get these seven steps to love. Now love is obviously the ultimate goal in this, that final step. Love is wonderful. I mean the scripture says God is love. Love casts out all fear when it's perfected in our hearts and our minds. So love is ultimately what we're looking for. But we'll never know that. We'll never have that intimate connection and fellowship with God until we walk through these steps and have them be a part of our lives. You'll see that here. Not just something that we do once and achieve it like some sort of Girl Scout merit badge, but something that we latch on to and make it a part of our life. And it starts with this, step one. Moral excellence. Now be very 
careful to apply moral excellence within your faith. And then knowledge. And from knowledge, self-control. And from self-control, perseverance. From perseverance, godliness. That's what we talked about last week. And from godliness, now step six, brotherly kindness or brotherly love. Brotherly kindness or brotherly love. And then that seventh step, love. And verse eight goes on to read like this. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, that means if we have these things as a part of our life, if we have moral excellence and the knowledge of God and self-control and perseverance, if we have these things as a part of our life, and they're increasing. We will always be useful. We will always be fruitful. And verse 9 reads like this. For the one that lacks these things is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from former sins. I want to stop there for a second and just explain what that means. It really means that this is the point. That if we become Christians and we get forgiven but then we don't pursue moral excellence and we stop seeking after the knowledge of God and we don't operate in self-control and we don't give our lives to perseverance, overcoming, and we ignore the call to godliness and we reject brotherly love. If those things aren't increasing or growing, if we're not pursuing those things, we've missed the entire point of Christianity. That's really what that means. The one that's lacking these is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from former sins. Therefore, make all the certain, be diligent about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. What a promise. It goes on to reveal another amazing promise in verse 11. For in this way is entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and it will be abundantly supplied to you. These are seven things that we need to pursue in our actions and in our words. We've got to be asking ourselves, testing ourselves, does this fall into the divine nature, the description of the divine nature? Is this morally excellent? Is this within the knowledge of God or is this the world's wisdom? Is this operating in self-control or am I being controlled by outside influences? And there are tons of outside influences Outside influences are everywhere. Outside influences can be in your mailbox. Outside influences can be in your marriage. Outside influences could be your children. Outside influences could be your parents. Outside influences could be your coworkers. Outside influences can be the government. There are all kinds of outside influences that are trying to affect our decision making. But we need to not let them control us. We need to function in self-control. Perseverance, being willing to continue to move forward even during times of difficulty. And godliness, living a life of repentance, constantly pursuing the way that God would have us to live. And then now brotherly kindness. I want to talk about brotherly kindness. To me, it embodies why the church exists in the first place. Remember, Jesus said that we'll be known as his disciples by our love for one another. Now, I think that in oftentimes, or oftentimes, excuse me, in church circles, that passage is adjusted slightly. Or people begin to think that we'll be known by our love for God. Or that we'll be identified by our love for His Word or for things like that. But the reality is if we can't love each other, if we can't operate together, if we can't be unified 
and celebrate brotherly kindness between each other, then we can't be known as Christians. The word there for brotherly kindness is Philadelphia. Just like the city, spelled different, but just pronounced the same. Brotherly love or brotherly kindness. I'll read to you what it means here. It means a fraternal or brotherly affection or brotherly love. And then I like this, love of the brethren. Now, love of the brethren is one that could be descriptive. It's the love of the brethren. It can also be possessive. Of can be a possessive word. This could be Preston's Bible, or this could be the Bible of Preston. But there's a love that we possess when we come into the body of Christ, when we become Christians. And that love is amazingly specific for each other to share and to give and to see wonderful things come to pass. We're going to get into brotherly kindness and brotherly love here in just a moment. But I want to open with this because this is important. Brotherly love is not a gift. Have you ever met someone that was just nice? I have. And I think I I meet people that are nice a lot because maybe they stand out as nice next to me, right? Because I don't feel like I'm very nice sometimes. I think I try my best, but I've met people before and I'm like, man, I just want to be like you. If I could just be like you, that would be really nice. It must be great to be that kind and that nice. Sometimes I feel like a real stick in the mud. But we're going to find out that there's some things we can do to become nice people. We're going to see that in just a moment. But I want to offer this to you going into this. Because it's important that we catch this. The people that we meet that are nice aren't just nice because they were born that way. Kindness is always a choice. You can write that down. I think that's important. I know right now, if my wife were in here, she's in with the kids, she would be writing it down and circling it and underlining it to tell me that later on. Honey, remember, kindness is a choice. Yes, that's true. I need to be kind. Brotherly love is a choice. You can write this down for your notes. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1. It opens like this. Are you ready for this? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1. Very short. We'll start with a short one. How's that? Let love of the brethren continue. That's it. Let love of the brethren continue. Now, if we were up in Sunday school, we would repeat that. It would become a memory verse, right? Hebrews 13, 1. Let love of the brethren continue. But if we stop and look at that, it's more than just this short statement. There's a lot of things being revealed here. The word let at the beginning of that reveals condition. It's a conditional thing. It can be made to happen or it can be resisted or hindered. That's completely up to us at any given moment, any given time. Brotherly love continuing, moving forward, increasing, being celebrated is 100% up to us in any given situation, in any given meeting. You know, I had the opportunity to step in and lead some uh, a couple of years ago. And I love Champions Church. I remember the first services here. My family had come to plant the church and establish it. I was in agriculture, and I was newly born again. Newly born again, and I knew that God had an amazing call on my life to just do great things beyond what I was doing. I, uh, I stepped out of those things, and I decided that it was the will of God because of some confirmations that I would travel here and help my family as they established what's now Champions Church. I thought I would be around for a few months, and then I would move on to what was next. 
And when I got here, I began to see something. I began to see needs. It was my first time to actually not just go to church, but begin to function in church. And remember, I was a new believer. I began to see all of the ins and outs, the rehearsals and the setups and the teardowns. We were meeting in the Civic Center. It was just kind of a temporary space, so we had a trailer that was filled with equipment. So every Sunday, you know, you would be right. How many of you have been to downtown Abilene? Okay, so can you tell me, please, why it's so hard to synchronize stoplights? We had this trailer full of equipment, and we would hit this light, and we would floor it, you know, and then the next light would be red, so you lock up the brakes, and you just hear all the gear pile up in the front. And then you floor it again, you hear it go to the back. It's really hard on your church's gear. So for a long time, that was the case. So you get acquainted with the ins and outs, the plug this in, the turn that up, the mute that, the set up this speaker, and all. And those things became church services. But the reality was that was just on the surface. Those were activities. The church and the church's service happened when you began to engage people. And you would meet people, the most incredible people that carry amazing gifts and anointings, just like the people in this room, have amazing and powerful callings, have wonderful and colorful histories and testimonies and things that God's done in their lives. And you begin to realize the, the gear and the equipment and the setup and the teardown and the, the move the chairs and stack them up and all that stuff. While those things may be necessities for having activities, that's hardly the end or the purpose. But those activities were meant to connect people so that people could come together and express their love to one another and then stand out in this world as disciples of Jesus Christ. Just like he said, you'll be known as my disciples by your love for one another. It wasn't just setting up this event so that people could come and sit and listen to a sermon and then they would check the box off, went to church, good Christian, good job, boy. But all of those activities were meant to connect people so that people could know people and share their gifting with them and have their gifts shared. Such a wonderful and amazing calling. And we have that right here, right now. And once you begin to see that and realize that, a lot of the scripture begins to come off the page and make sense in wonderful and powerful ways. Now, I want to talk to you quickly about brotherly love and how we can get it in our life. There's some keys to brotherly love. Excuse me. If you've got your Bibles with you, I'd like for you to turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. I would encourage you in your own time to read through Romans chapter 12. There's amazing content on a number of things that really can improve our lives. It opens up with actual worship and spiritual worship and the transformation, the renewal of your mind. Wonderful things. I'd like to look at verse 9. I want to begin reading in verse 9, and I want to go from 9 to 13. And in this, we're going to find eight keys to choosing brotherly love. Remember, brotherly love is a choice. 
And it's an important choice. If it's step six in seven steps to love, can you get to that seventh step without the sixth step? The answer to that is no. I don't know if you're like me and you get something and it requires assembly and all of a sudden the instructions are of little interest to you until you have broken a tool or you know, damaged the item or whatever. And then all of a sudden you start to look to the instructions and say, well, maybe I need to follow the instructions here. Well, I feel like that for most of us in the pursuit of love, that we want to step in and love. We want to love. We want to know love. We want to experience the love of God. We want to have all the benefits of love. But oftentimes we don't take the time to read the instructions and go step by step. We just simply want the end result without the process. But we know there's a process here to love, and we're not going to get to love without first getting to brotherly kindness or brotherly love. Now here in Romans chapter 12, we're going to find eight keys to choosing brotherly kindness. To see brotherly kindness increase in our lives. Let me read this passage. Read it along with me if you would. Romans chapter 12 beginning in verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. I want to stop right there. I remember earlier I told you we're going to find out how to really love. Now open up your eyes because it's going to be right here. Let love be without hypocrisy. That basically means let love not be fake. Let it be real. That word hypocrisy means disguise or masked. If we want our love to be real, we need to read the rest of this passage and see to it that it applies to our lives. How to really love. Let love be without hypocrisy. Hate what's evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. For love to be without hypocrisy, we've got to hate what's evil and love what's good. For love to be without hypocrisy, we've got to be together, united in brotherly love. The word devoted is a very strong word. Devotion, commitment, and loyalty are things that are missing in this world today, even in the church. Where oftentimes disputes aren't settled with reconciliation and repentance and forgiveness, but they're settled with separation. Well, I'll just go over there to that church. That'll show them. It's a mess. But we've come to a place where we realize that we're called to be devoted to one another. That's a service and a commitment, a duty. In brotherly love, for our love to be without hypocrisy, we need to love the things that God loves. That means hate evil and love good. And we've got to be devoted to one another in brotherly kindness. Now we're going to see a list of things that I believe are necessary for brotherly kindness to exist. I think these are eight keys to brotherly kindness. And since brotherly kindness or brotherly love is a choice, these are eight things that we can choose when we're dealing with relational situations and circumstances. Let love be without hypocrisy. Hate what's evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. One, give preference to one another in honor. If you want to write these eight keys down, that's one. Prefer one another. Prefer one another. If I could take that one thing and I could take it home and just release it in my house, I think it would have a profound effect on the peace and the productivity of my household. I keep in mind, I'm a married man, and marriage does require intentional things to be enjoyable and fruitful and productive. It's wonderful in God's design. But I also have children. My children are nine years old. They're two boys. They're twins. 
So we're constantly having to teach them, to impart to them, to remind them the importance of preferring one another. I mean, my goodness, who gets their milk first on their cereal in the morning can turn into an all-out brawl. But to come into an awareness that we could prefer each other could impart so much peace. So to function and operate in brotherly love, that first key is to prefer one another. Remember, it's a choice. Everywhere we go, we can choose to prefer one another. Now, I'm going to reveal my clay feet to you. Sometimes I get hungry and that affects my mood. How many of you are hungry right now, right? Yeah. Is your mood affected? You're ready to go. You're ready to eat. You're walking in, let's say, to a restaurant, and you see someone else walking in. Now, naturally, I begin to walk faster. You know you do it, too. So I want to beat them. I've actually had my wife bail out of the car. Go, 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 run in. We want to beat that family. That's not very godly, right? Man, what a jerk, huh? Yeah, you know who you are too, right? Go, go, go. But to prefer someone else would be willing to step back and let them. So now what I've done intentionally is I'll choose, I'll walk faster, but then I'll get the door for him. And then you know what's amazing? This happened once. I think this person wanted to prefer me back. They walked in, and then they said, here, you get in line. And it was this wonderful moment. We celebrated brotherly kindness. We don't know each other. I don't know them from Adam. They don't know me from Adam. But there was something great that happened there. We weren't selfish. And it was because of decisions and choices to consider that person first. Do you know how much of the world's problems would be solved if that one lesson could be received and put to practice by each of us? Just prefer one another. But there's something more than just preferring one another. That word preference, give preference to each other. It's a leadership word. It means to lead. When we choose to prefer someone, we're leading in that situation. When we choose to prefer, it's not this submissive act that gives them dominance or control. It's actually an exercise of authority and restraint. I choose to allow you first. Please go ahead. It's a leadership role, and you're called to be a magnificent leader just like Jesus. Who, when he manifests his leadership, he washed the feet of those around him. And said, the greatest among you will serve. We can prefer each other. And it can be manifest in our decisions and our choices. Not just goofy examples about my hunger issues. But in our everyday life, in conflict, in the things that we face. To operate in brotherly kindness, that first key is we've got to begin to prefer one another. In this church, if we don't want to break up, separate, have people leave over petty, stupid, foolish issues, we've got to be a people who one can prefer each other. If we want our marriages to last, if we want our families to endure, we've got to begin to prefer one another. Give preference to one another in honor. That second key now, not lagging behind in diligence. Not lagging behind in diligence. That's a second key. Now, that one's kind of weird. I like the way the King James says it. Anybody have a King James Bible in here? You've got one? Does it say not slothful in business? Not slothful in business. Not slothful in business. 
Slothful means late or slow. That word business there, oh, I love this. If you look that up in a concordance, the first word you're going to find is speed. Speed. The work that we do, the labor that we do, to be efficient and effective in it. If we want to operate in brotherly kindness, we can't be slothful and bogged down, but there's got to be something inside us that moves. Now, that might sound like a bit of a riddle, but I want to offer this just to break it down for us here so it can be effective right here and right now. If brotherly kindness is the call and the goal, and the step is don't be slow but be quick, what that tells me is for brotherly kindness to exist between me and you, I'm not supposed to wait for you to get it started. I should get it started. Because if we sit around and we wait for someone else to get it started within our relationship, it ain't never going to happen. Somebody's got to be the one that gets it started. Somebody's got to be the one that instigates this manifestation of God's design for fellowship and connection. And the call, that step two, is, hey, don't wait for someone else to get going. Speed, man, get after it, get it done. Just love all over that person. Prefer the heck out of that person. Can you say that in church? Can I, I just did, so I hope it's okay. Be the one to get it going. And then the third key, be fervent in spirit serving the Lord. Fervent in spirit serving the Lord. This is an interesting key to me. Because you have this one where we start off preferring one another, and as we prefer one another, we don't wait to be preferred before we prefer. We move quick. We, we don't wait for someone else to start it. We start it. We initiate and then this third key, be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. That word fervent there is to mean, means to heat, like to a boil, to burn. I know when I was first born again, there was a lot of the things in my life could be described as fervent. My prayer life and my devouring of the word and my, my interest in gaining an awareness and a knowledge of all the things that were bringing life and victory into my life where I had only known death and, and captivity and destruction. That boiling, that fire, that fervency is meant to stay with us. Now, I don't know about you, but I enjoy a good fire from time to time. So much so that I've gotten a few letters that open with, Dear Homeowner. Dear Homeowner. There's something about a fire. I'll take my boys out to the middle of nowhere. We'll gather things and light a fire. And you light it and it burns. But as it burns, it's got to be fed or else it consumes all of its fuel and begins to die down. I see Christians, and myself included, that if we don't stay fed, if we don't keep the fuel coming in, that fire will burn down. It will burn dim. It will get cool. That's a choice for me and for you. Am I going to feed it? Keep pouring the wood to it. Let it burn. Our pursuit of the things of God. Brotherly kindness depends on our pursuit of the things of God. Can we continue to inspire ourselves to seek after the things that satisfy God? Can we be as fervent as we were day one when we were told we were forgiven, pardoned, and had the power of God imparted to our lives through His Spirit? Can we maintain that excitement, let it grow? Can we continue to fuel those fires? 
It's required for us to be kind to one another. There are times where I have found myself a little on the grumpy side. I've said things and done things that I've had to go back and apologize for or repent for. They were just mean. They were unkind. It wasn't brotherly kindness. And it's no coincidence that the majority of those times are times when I have not been fueling those fires. I've been consumed with the stresses of life and the deadlines of this and that and things that really don't matter in the end. But by choice, I chose the things that didn't matter and it had an effect on the amount of brotherly kindness I was able to give in any situation or circumstance. I became, and this is a biblical word, you can find it in the Hebrew, a jerk. I don't think it's Hebrew. All because those fires weren't fueled inside of me. They began to cool down. And when they cooled down, I had nothing to give. We've got to heat those fires up to the point that they could boil in our service to God. So one key, prefer each other. Another key, be the one willing to get things started. A third key, keep that fire fed. That urgency to serve God and to see great things happen. That excitement. A fourth key, rejoicing in hope. Rejoicing in hope. This is something we can do with each other. When people have things going on in their lives, we can share in those things. You know, you can look at your bulletin, you see a response form in it. We try to go out of our way to communicate that that's not just for when things go bad. Not just for, hey, I need prayer, hey, I need ministry, but share the good things too. Tell us the awesome stuff that's going on so that we can share in that. So that we can come together. So that we can participate with you in rejoicing in these awesome things that have happened. It's good news. And we share in those things together and it brings about a wonderful bond, a celebration. Think about the people that you're closest to. When things go right in their lives, do you celebrate with them? I know I do. And I think as a church, we're meant to have that kind of fellowship where we can enjoy the things that God does in each other's lives. Where we can be free from jealousy and envy, but begin to see the blessing manifest and be genuinely happy about it. I am so glad that God's done that with you. So glad He's done it for you. God is so faithful. And as we share in those things, that hope is contagious. When you begin to see and celebrate with other people when God does great things in their lives, it becomes a testimony then that has a profound effect on the rest of the body to see that celebration become a part of their lives as well. Then you'll see another step here. After preferring one another, being the first to get things started, being fervent, keeping those fires fed, and sharing in each other's celebrations, you'll see persevering in tribulation. Well, we talked about perseverance just a couple of weeks ago. Persevering means you keep pushing, keep pushing, no matter how much resistance. We talked about the difference between patience and perseverance. Patience meaning you could wait. Let's just say we had a, a project where we were all outside and it began to rain. Well, you could say, well, we're going to step inside until the rain stops. Well, that's patient. You're waiting for the rain to stop. Perseverance is we're going to get this done even if we're all soaking wet by the time it's through. 
We've got a call in our life to persevere through hardship. We can do that together as a body. What that requires, though, is that we can't do this. I'll tell you what this is. This is not how I dress every day. This is how someone says I ought to dress for Sunday morning. When we come into church and we want to appear beautiful and appear put together when we're actually not, that's a problem. Sometimes we're more concerned with how we appear than how we actually are. And for us to persevere together through problems, we're going to have to be willing to share with each other our problems. Hey, it's not going to make me look very good, but my marriage is in trouble. Hey, I know it doesn't make me look like super Christian, uh, but I've got a lot of issues with my kids. We've got to be willing to expose those problems and share those problems with the people that we know can come together united in brotherly love and assist us in persevering and pushing through. We're not meant to do all of those things just on our own, but we're called to be a body sharing in those things together. The next key here you'll see is a devotion to prayer. Devotion to prayer. A devotion to prayer. A devotion to prayer as a body. A devotion to prayer for one another. I remember once becoming kind of bored in my prayer life. Things were really routine. A lot of repetition. Everything that Jesus says don't do, I was the king of it. And I realized something. My prayer life is really boring because I'm only praying for me. Hello. I want to say that again. I hit a lull in my prayer life. It became very boring. It was stagnant and routine, and I realized I was only praying for me. This brotherly kindness that we're meant to share in, that devotion to prayer, is not just that we become devoted to prayer for ourselves, but that we pray for one another. So I made a commitment one time, just for kicks. I decided, if I keep doing this the same way I've always done it, I can't imagine that I'm going to get a different result. So I'm going to stop praying for me. I'm going to stop praying for me, and I'm going to start praying for other people. So from that moment on, for a set amount of time, I'd set a, a start date and an end date, all of my prayer time was devoted to not praying about my needs, but just praying for people I knew. I didn't call and get prayer requests. I didn't put it out there saying, hey, I'm going on this prayer journey. Send me all the things that you want me to pray for. I just decided I'm not going to pray for me. I'm just going to sit down and let God reveal these amazing people that I'm surrounded by, and I'm going to pray for them. You know, it was amazing. Everything that was dull about my prayer life became exciting. Everything that felt powerless became powerful. Everything that, became, that had become boring and routine was shattered into something that was absolutely amazingly enjoyable. And it actually felt like God was involved. Because He was. I think that's what that devotion to prayer is. Not just mark your calendar and attend every prayer meeting. But that brotherly love needs to be manifest within our prayers. And our prayers need to be devoted to that brotherly love. That we begin to pray for one another. 
and not just pray for ourselves. A seventh step here, contributing to the needs of the saints. Contributing to the needs of the saints. I love this one, and I'll tell you why. That word contributing. If you have a King James Bible, it's going to say distributing, distributing to the needs of the saints. Contributing is this giving. Distributing is this handing out or this passing out. But I want to tell you the root word here in the Greek. Koinonio. Kind of like koinonia, like the fellowship. It's a weird word. I say it with a Texas accent, which makes it even more weird. But it means fellowship. Fellowship. So if I come down with that understanding, that it means fellowship, and then I read it, it reads like this. Fellowship to the needs of the saints. Fellowship to the needs of the saints. Get acquainted with. You want to know one of the most amazing, profound things in the Scripture, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The difference between Jesus and how He led and the other leaders at the time. Jesus would go in fellowship with the people that he ministered to. He would witness and see their needs. It's kind of hard to meet someone's need if you don't know there's a need in the first place. But when we have fellowship together, real, genuine fellowship, when we can contribute to the needs of others, that happens when we become aware of other people's needs, and that happens when we fellowship and connect with that person. And we're able to do something very powerful in the manifestation of brotherly love and brotherly kindness. Now this last key here, practicing hospitality. Practicing hospitality. I like the word practicing. Practicing means that this is an action. I mean, this is happening. This is what you do. It's not thinking about or being hospitable in idea or principle, but this is actually how you function, how you live. Practicing hospitality. Hospitality being generosity. Generosity to see something imparted to someone else for the sake of their comfort. Now that one previous, these things could sound alike, like fellowshipping or ministering to someone's need versus practicing hospitality, but I see a difference here. I see a difference. Let's just say someone had a need. Somebody needed a bottle of water. It's a goofy example, but just bear with me. And because of the fellowship I have, I see your need, so I say, here, I want to meet your need. See, yeah, now I've already drank out of that. You're not going to want to, okay. So that's the meeting of the need. But then there's Hospitality. What if hospitality were to step in and I were to say, hey, I see your need that you need a bottle of water. I want to give you a case of water. I just don't want to meet your need, but I want to go way above and beyond because I want you to be comfortable. Practicing hospitality. Meeting people's needs is important. Meeting people's needs is necessary. But then there's this final key to operating in brotherly kindness where we don't just stop at meeting someone's needs. But we become excited about making their lives better, making their lives more comfortable, making them have the things that, that they maybe never thought they could have. 
And there's something about that that's enriching and empowering. And when I read through these things, when I read about preferring someone else, when I read about not being slow and waiting for them to do it, when I read about being fervent and burning with passion, when I read about rejoicing in hope and persevering through tribulation, when I read about being devoted to praying for someone else, when I read about contributing to someone's needs, and then when I read about even being hospitable on top of that, all I think is Jesus. It's everything He's done for me. And it's our call to one another to be just like Jesus. I want to give you a passage of Scripture here. We're going to begin to close. There's a few things we're going to look at. We're going to move through them rather quickly. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. If you have your Bibles there, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. There's something that we need to have accomplished before we can function in brotherly love. There's something that we need to make those eight keys become a reality in our life. They're very difficult. Have you ever known what you needed to do but found it hard to do it? Or it's just hard. And I have to think, you know, that God's made a way for these things. If I'm a new creature in Jesus Christ... Old things pass away. New things come. If my heart that was once hard has been softened, and if my mind that was once corrupted is being renewed, then there ought to be ways for the things that He's called me to do to not come hard, but to be natural. And I love that He's called us to the divine nature. When something is in your nature, it's just who you are. It's how you function. How you operate. And all of these things that make up brotherly kindness are meant to be natural things. Not done out of discipline, but done out of being delivered from selfishness and conceit. So I want to look at this passage here for the purpose of finding the solution. How is it that we can become capable of loving one another? What needs to happen so that we can begin to see those eight keys functioning and operating and flowing in our lives, the decisions and the actions and the words? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. It reads like this. Since you have in obedience to the faith purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Since you have purified your souls for a love of the brethren, love one another with a pure heart. For us to function in brotherly love, there needs to be a purification that takes place in our soul. That's how I read this. And I want to read it one more time. And I want to make sure that we all catch it as we move forward. Because it's really the point. In obedience to the truth, purify your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. In order for us to have a sincere love of the brethren, we've got to have our souls purified. Now, I'm just curious, when you read that, do you see it the same way? Do you see it as cause and effect? Do you see it as, do this and this will be the result? 
Because according to the Scripture here, to love from a pure heart, for us to indulge in and celebrate brotherly love, which is necessary for us to be Christians and believers, there needs to be a purification that takes place in our soul. And that is the result of the truth. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love for the brethren, fervently love from a pure heart. I think it's important that we understand what our soul is. And what God has done to bring purification to our souls. The purification that He brings to our souls is meant to enable our heart to love one another. And that is what makes us Christians. Now, where you sit, you sit in the chair where I stand. I stand right here and that's my body. But I'm not just my body and you're not just your body. You're a body with a spirit and a soul. And the soul exists within your mind. I like to use my children as an example. They're twins. They're twins and there's times where people can't tell them apart. If you spend enough time around them, it's no problem. But they're so unique Though they're so alike in so many ways, they're so unique. In the areas where they are unique is in their soul. How they perceive things, how they respond to things. And their soul is something that I could never form or make. That's what God forms and weaves together in the womb. Not to get into a biology lesson, but they're the result of my DNA and their mother's DNA. In their bodies anyway. But outside of their bodies, the things that make them who they are, their person, their personality, that's what God established, and it's very unique. and really has nothing to do with my DNA or their mother's DNA, but it has to do with who God made them to be. That's your soul. Exists in the realm of the mind. It consists of a few things. It consists of your will, your imagination, your intellect, or your intelligence. It consists of your emotions and your conscience. And out of those five things, you'll see areas where God ministers to those five things throughout the Scripture. It's, you've got a five-fold ministry, and you've got Jesus coming and saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because... And He lists these five amazing things that He brings into our lives. We'll see those in just a moment when we close. But that ministry to your soul is necessary for natural brotherly love and kindness to flow from your hearts. For us to operate and function in brotherly love, there needs to be a purification that takes place within our will and imagination, our intelligence, emotions, and conscience. I want to give you a couple of scriptures here. James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. God is opposed to the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Submit therefore to God and resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I want to stop there for a second. When it says cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded, we see two groups of people. We see a group that would be considered sinners and a group that would be considered double-minded. Then we see what they need in response to that identity. Because nobody wants to be branded those things. Nobody would want that as their identity. 
For the sinner, we see the cleansing of the hands is necessary. For the double-minded, we see the purification of the heart. If we want to test our hearts for the purpose of seeing if we're capable of functioning in brotherly love and brotherly kindness, we ought to ask ourselves this question. Am I stable? Is there stability in my life? Because it's the double-minded that are in need of the purification of the heart. And to be double-minded is to be unstable. You can take it down for your notes, but James chapter 1 verse 8 says that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? You would think that if he's double-minded, maybe he would be unstable in half of his ways. But double-mindedness leaves a lack of stability across the board. Now for us as believers, for us as Christians, for us as a church, as a body, the question stands, are we stable in our fellowship, in our community, in our connection? Or is double-mindedness a way of life? To believe one way today and another way tomorrow to have one conviction now and a different one later. And if we find that instability where fear and anxiety and all these corrupt things exist, we need to understand that Jesus has made a way to minister to our minds, to actually minister to our souls, to bring us to a place where we can function and operate in brotherly kindness. Everything that he said, he didn't say out of some grand entry, some script, but out of intention and purpose, he reveals the reason for his ministry in your life and in my life. Upon being baptized in the Jordan River and baptized in the Holy Ghost, Jesus preached, and as he preached, he pulled out the book of Isaiah, and he began to say the following, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because God has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set those who are oppressed free, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. You got five things there that Jesus is saying, this is why I'm here. This is why God has poured out the Holy Spirit on me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because. And then he lists these five things. And each one of these things, minister to our minds, minister to our soul. They minister to poverty, to captivity, to bondage, to oppression and affliction. And then my favorite is this last one. That the Spirit of the Lord would be upon him to minister the favor of God into my life. It destroys all inferiority that would be in my mind. Any element of my soul that would see myself as unworthy or unable or incapable, not strong enough, not capable enough to perform what God would call me to do. All of that stuff goes out the window when Jesus comes to impart the favor of God into my life. And it's that purification within my soul that then empowers my actions to not be ruled by anxiety and fear. And when we come together and I hear of your problem, I don't sit there and shake and shudder with you. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? But I can actually function in brotherly kindness and say, hey, we're going to persevere through this. Let's stick together. We'll see it through. And it's that brotherly kindness that God's called us to, to be united together, 
to see great things happen when we can come together without any corruption in our thinking or our minds, to share in happiness and celebration, to persevere through sorrow and trial, to see great things come to pass, all because God's designed us to do these things together. We absolutely need each other. I want to give you a passage of Scripture. We're going to close with this. I mentioned we were going to find what's necessary or the key to revival. We pray for revival and we desire to see revival on different levels and scales. We want to see it individually. We want to see it in households and in churches and cities and regions and countries. But revival is the result of change. It's the result of repentance, which we talked about a lot last week. If you missed that, you should check it out. Repentance not simply being an apology or an acknowledging that something's wrong, but the actual change, the turning away from that thing that's wrong and the pursuit of what's right. And that repentance and that change results in a transformation. That transformation would be what we would call revival. And in the book of Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, you'll see that that transformation is the result of something. Romans 2.4 says that it's God's kindness, that brotherly kindness that we're called to operate in, that leads people to repentance. No wonder there would be such an agenda from our enemy. Whether it's the devil or the demons or whatever you want to say. No wonder there would be such an agenda from the enemies of God to disrupt brotherly kindness within church. To derail and to dismantle and to take the wheels out from under the thing that can lead people to repentance or change. It keeps everything stuck just the way it's always been. People having the same problem they've always had. Dealing with the same issue they always had before. But if we can catch on to the power of that brotherly kindness, to be just like Jesus, to prefer each other, to be the one willing to take the first step, to be fervent, to keep the fire of God stirred in our lives and not grow dull, to celebrate with each other and not be jealous or envious. And to persevere through tribulation, to pray for each other, to meet each other's needs, and then to be generous on top of that. We start catching those things. And the result is people are led to change, led to repentance, led to transformation. They're led to revival. And it's all the result of us functioning and operating as we should, like Christians. Because just like Jesus said, this world will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. What a wonderful thing to consider. And what an important thing to put to practice. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.